Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Matt Mailer. Matt is a procurement professional with 20 years of experience in some pretty unique categories of spend and service locations. A lot of us have service procurement in our backgrounds. I know I do. But Matt specializes in managing large venues. And when I say large, I mean like Madison Square Garden in New York City. So, hi, Matt. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So I shared a little bit about where you focus and specialize in my intro, but I have to ask, how does one's career in procurement take them to the point they're managing services for Madison Square Garden? That's a great question. Uh, so when I was younger, I always loved soccer. I played my whole life, fortunate enough to play in college and, and even take me to, to semi-pro. But through that journey, um, when, when you're having that vision of, of playing professional in the United States, it's really to take you to college. Uh, that's the next level. So I was fortunate enough to play D1 at Duquesne University. And I went there as an athlete. I always tell people I went there as a soccer player, but I left as a, as a scholar. Um, that's where I found my passion for supply chain and procurement. It's interesting because a lot of people you meet in procurement, they tell you a journey that started somewhere else. Um, but honestly, I, I fell in love with it uh, when I was at Duquesne. And the reason for that was that an awesome professor that, interestingly enough, was not even a doctorate at the time, but he was such a, uh, came out of the industry and, as a practitioner, and he really took his students out into the field often. So I got to see Westco in motion, FedEx these large uh, supply chain operations at a young age. So I fell in love with it and then found an opportunity uh, in procurement at EDMC when I was still in school. Uh, and I just loved the, the field. I loved the understanding the business from different perspectives. Um, and, and it was a journey through that that found me in New York. My wife, I got married in 2008. Uh, she's from Long Island, so she wanted to be back home. So we came here and I uh, was fortunate enough to get a, an opportunity with a developer, uh, real estate owner, the Left Rack organization. And that's really where I found the passion of procurement and facilities management and construction, helped them start ground up, uh, procurement operations, policy procedures, systems um, in commercial real estate, residential real estate, and even development out of the ground buildings. So that's where I found the facility management. And then being in New York, uh, and my passion for sports, that's why I shared the soccer piece of that, you know, a typical um, passion for, for not just soccer, but all sports. To have an opportunity that came knocking to work for Madison Square Garden, um, it, it was a great alignment of two passions, the, the passion and profession of procurement, and then clearly the sports. And to do it there at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, uh, was an awesome opportunity. Well, and it's interesting because I also actually got started in procurement in the services area. And I've always thought that was a lucky turn because I know for a lot of folks who started on 
the product material side of things, it feels very difficult to move from there to services. Whereas you and I have been there for a long time and we might think, oh, this product is a whole lot easier than than I thought it was going to be to source. But there's not this sort of foreign idea that, oh my gosh, it's just this insurmountable challenge to think about specking out or drawing up requirements or sourcing and contracting for services. Do you have a way in your mind that you think differently about managing the spend and relationships for products versus services? Or to you, do you very comprehensively sort of think of them both as being part of the same framework and process rigor when you're trying to bring them under management? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great question. I think the, the fact that you actually use the word relationship in there is, is, is I'll pick that out and I'll, and I'll key in on that for a second. Um, you know, I also found myself in this facility management area because my roots are, are from, from Pittsburgh, very blue collar, and it's great to interact with, you know, the people in facilities, in construction. And, and honestly, a lot of that world is just driven by services. So to your point, you don't always pick it and choose it per se. It kind of finds you from that perspective. And really the difference I find between, you know, goods and services, you know, the goods are very tangible. I could buy a computer tomorrow. I can understand those specifications, the RAM, the memory. Um, you can go to another supplier and say, you want the same SKU. But the services really uh, are, are much different from the standpoint that, they're undefined often, right? There's They're intangible. You work with a designer, you work with an architect, you work with a general contractor. Sure, you have a set of plans, but it, it takes a little more than just the set of plans and specifications to get you from the idea and conception through execution. And you can't do that unless you have the strong relationships uh, in the market and understand those areas and of spend. Um, and it's really difficult to do because oftentimes, you know, there's there's those undefined uh, scopes that you have to then manage through. And you want to do that with folks that you have and companies that you have good relationships with because mm-hmm. there's an element of trust, right? There's an element of trust of delivery of those items. Sure, you could put SLAs, you know, service level agreements. You can have KPIs that help give you guardrails. But it's really down to that relationship and knowing they're going to deliver that helps you, you know, makes you better at what you do in procurement, right? You bring that element of those relationships. You're managing the third parties. You're managing the internal stakeholders. And you're bringing those relationships, the collaboration that's needed to deliver um, services, I feel, is just at a greater level than, uh, you know, something like goods. Yeah. Now, speaking of a greater level, I think for a lot of people who do manage services, what you're doing is managing, not small, but smaller from a consumption standpoint, services across many locations, right? So I was grocery retail and I would be managing, you know, either security guard services or parking lot care or something internal to the the grocery store, but for hundreds of locations up and down the East Coast, whereas you had enormous demand and it was all focused around that one location. How does the difference between those two sources of scale impact your approach? Yeah, that's, a, that's another great question. And really it comes down to, you know, the peaks, right? If you, if you work in retail or you work in even commercial real estate, there's a general schedule and the schedule is in some sense normalized, right? Monday through Friday for office space. 
Um, Retail outlets have a schedule and they're generally, I'll say normalized Monday through Friday, Saturday through Sunday, whatever those things are, it's pretty structured. The challenging part in, in venue operations in the sports and entertainment industry is that it's the variability and, and the peaks of those variabilities are just at a whole nother scale. So, for example, I thought with all the information and knowledge and experience I received over seven years in, in doing it at the left rack organization and a lot of the same infrastructure that's in place, you have fire alarm systems, elevators, escalators, sure, these are all the same things, you know, similar services, but you're just doing it at a much greater scale and the scale varies. So what do I mean by that? So, you know, big thing you'll hear venue operations talk about is ingress, egress, right? There's a point of time where you have an event in that day, you know, the show kicks off at eight o'clock. You have, you may have 20 to 30,000 people coming to your venue in a 30 to 60 minute period, right? So the preparation that it takes for that massive scale in that time of that, and all of that happens in hours, right? Again, commercial real estate hour, you know, you may have a a window of, of eight hours of a day. Here you're talking about a short amount of time with great numbers all at once. And then also you gotta think about schedules, right? There's in the industry, it's called dark days, days they're not operating, right? Today may be uh, dark on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. And then you have large events Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then next week it may flip, right? Mm -hmm. The the schedule is always variable. Um, And then the seasons are variable, right? There's concert seasons, then there's in season. If if you're fortunate enough to have an anchor team within your venue, you have your NBA seasons, your hockey seasons, your sporting seasons that then make that season also a lot greater, right? So here you are in a procurement role trying to manage that variability and manage the contractor's performance through these, you know, peaks and valleys of time. And as you think about it as an operator, not just an operator of the venue, but an operator of the businesses that you're interacting with from a procurement perspective, You've got to work together and collaborate on how do you productively manage a business to meet those peaks and valleys, right? Because if you have a labor-based business, right, those are people, those are workers. How do you keep those workers busy to to be engaged, to then, you know, have work week of days, you know, for the day, for the week, for the year, so that you have consistency in delivering that service? And I think that's really, you know, some of the things that was, was quick for me to to really make the transition successfully was to ingrain myself and understand how the business worked and then try to understand from a procurement perspective, how do I make sure that when I'm dealing with these contractors and putting agreements in place, that it's with a model that allows the business to succeed, which, you know, clearly in a procurement role, we have to make sure the, the, the third parties, the suppliers, the contractors that we're working with can be successful. You know, and it's interesting because I was sort of coming to this thinking, okay, products versus services. And obviously, depending on the type of facility, you're going to have one level of service or one grouping of service offerings that are used in commercial real estate, completely different set in a supermarket. But when you think about the different types of events that would come into a large venue, the first thing that actually pops to mind for me uh, were NASCAR fans. And and I want to say this was Bristol, but I could be getting the track wrong. Last year, they decided, you know what? 
we're going to have a dirt track race on a normal track. And they had to truck in all of this sand. And being a bit of a neatnik, I will admit, the stress for me of knowing they were bringing in all of this sand and dirt that was then going to have to be removed again uh, was was a little bit anxiety driving. And then, of course, it rained. Um, but but really, instead of being a steady state maintenance in a facility like Madison Square Garden, it almost is more like prep, disaster, recovery, right? This constant. <laughs> yeah. And then you talk about the seasonality of it. Is is that stressful? Maybe I'm still focused on the, the dirt track race, but the the surges, as you talked about, does that make it a more stressful than the average type of procurement role? Yeah, you know, I'll actually give a lot of the credit to the people that run the place. I think it's stressful for them because they're on the front lines and they're dealing with the customers. They're dealing with leadership as it relates to the core business, right? The core business is that experience. You know, the experience that you have going to that NASCAR event that you want to feel like it's special from the moment you, you know, even really on the way there, uh, the business focuses on it. But really the time you get there, you walk in. From beginning to end, they want to make sure that experience. I always come at it humbly and say, no matter how difficult my job is in this world, you know, I, I appreciate those that are actually in the front lines making it happen day to day. Now, I will say it creates more challenges around that relationship management, right? Because you mm-hmm. are putting out more fires, you are you know responding to more challenges because every day is unique. You know, the stakes are higher and you have to deliver when the show goes on and there's always the recap and there's always the lessons learned. So I don't know from a procurement perspective, there's there's a greater pressure um, through what we do, but there's certainly um, there's certainly a lot more that goes towards ensuring that you are constantly maintaining those relationships from a quality perspective so that those you know incidents and those you know, those relationships between the service providers and the operations they're truly adding the value and set up for success um i think everybody in procurement deals with fires right i don't think anybody anything is unique but <laughs> it's certainly in the sports and entertainment world where it's so visible right it's visible to the public it's visible you know on on tv that there's a certain level of pressure from that perspective now we talked a few times about relationships, you know, acknowledging the fact that as obvious as, as it seems, it's important for us to remember, right? Services ultimately come down to human beings that are either doing something for you remotely or are entering your facility to do something. And so because of that, it becomes an opportunity to achieve at larger scale one of the things that's a top level objective for many procurement organizations, which is supplier diversity. How do you see services spend as providing a key opportunity for companies to hit and hopefully even surpass their supplier diversity or even sustainability targets if we think about that larger ESG umbrella? Yeah, I, in this industry specifically, it's the greatest opportunity, right? Because you think about what it takes to put an event on and really it comes down to labor, right? It takes a lot of bodies, ticket takers, cleaners, security. You go down the list, the number of people that it takes physically to go there, to be there, to be part of that experience, to deliver that high level of experience. Um, and let's be honest, when you're running a business, what's your highest cost? Yeah. Labor, right? Yeah. So 
So when you look at it from a procurement perspective and the opportunities to drive supplier diversity and sustainability, it really comes from this service category, um, specifically, you know, definitely in the sports and entertainment space. So things like janitorial services, you know, there's the green cleaning. Another large one, and you think about events, is is the waste, right? Everybody goes there, they have a great time, they drink many many drinks, beverages of your choice. You, you have a lot of food. Where is all of that going? <laughs> it's going to the waste stream. How do you organize that waste stream? How do you separate it? You know, what are your processes internally? And how do you then make sure that you're being um, a, a good citizen of, of, the, of the climate and ensuring that, you know, you're, you're utilizing processes that are setting up uh, for success? And, and I think a lot of that is making sure on the front end, and it's tough in the venue world, just to be honest, it's really hard operationally, again, because of the scale that happens to ensure that your, your building is set up properly uh, to then accommodate a lot of what it takes to do this stuff. But that's where um, procurement can add a lot of value. You know, I've, I actually worked in the past with waste removal to negotiate in additional compactors so that recycling could be done at a greater level, right? Because it just wasn't happening at the greatest level uh, and making sure that source separation practices are going into place. And the interesting part about the sports entertainment world that even has another greater value to then ultimately meet that target is that there's a sponsorship element of the business, right? Everyone knows in, when you go to a, a sporting event, there's name on the dashboards if you're at hockey, right? There's commercials, yes. there's ways for brands to, um, align themselves with these venues and with these teams. Um, and let's be honest, sustainability is a big thing. It should be a big thing. It's important. It's important to a lot of these companies. So it may be costly because we, you know, that's always been the challenge in that industry is how do we, you know, invest in it in a smart way, but there's creative ways in the sports and entertainment space. And that is, you know, trying to find maybe opportunities for sponsorship dollars to then fund what it takes to do that because you may need, for example, in the waste um, industry, you may need a lot of you know investment in the actual containers or the signage. Um, you may need investment in the physical infrastructure behind the scenes so that you can then divert it in the proper channels, right? So it, it's fun in the sports and entertainment world, especially in procurement, because those opportunities to drive revenue, to then support the business on the back end, to then ultimately meet high-level corporate goals such as sustainability, ESGs. Um, it's just a great, it's personally why I love this industry, why I you know, kind of stepped out of an individual uh, position and went more into starting my own company and, and trying to do this for the industry is because I'm extremely passionate about the role procurement plays to drive a lot of that change and positive change, not just for the company, um, but and in, in also individuals that are performing it, but ultimately, you know, the greater good for what you could achieve when you when you do the sustainability and and diversity. Right. If you're in janitorial security and these labor based um, services, you know, a lot of opportunity for ensuring that diversity is part of the hiring requirements and staffing requirements of the organizations that you work with and understand what's important to your company and drive that through the commitments and through the third party relationships that you have. Now, I would be remiss if I had you here and did not ask you some version of this question. 
you worked at Madison Square Garden, right? We talked about this. It's one of the most famous sports and entertainment venues in the world. Do you have any cool stories that that you can share, whether you can admit who they involve or not, uh, but anything exciting or noteworthy from your time working there that you want to share with listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could probably write a book because being in a sports and entertainment industry is, is it's fun, right? You have a lot of interesting opportunities around the games um, or around events that you support. Um, and as a sports guy, some of the top ones for me, you know, I got to meet Mark Messier up in a suite. Um, I got to work with, I would say if I had to pick one uh, that I, that I'm extremely passionate about and I love to share with, with individuals is that not only did I get to meet Glenn Sather, who's a Hall of Fame coach and, and GM and, and, you know, one Stanley Cups, he's a legend of the game, right? I got to work with him individually and his team, Mark Piazza, Jason Vogel and others to renovate the training center uh, oh, in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. For people who don't know, they actually um, don't train at the actual garden. They train a little bit north up in the Terrytown area and the training center uh, needed needed renovated. The budget was around twenty million, and the opportunity was to work with the the internal operations team, the actual teams themselves, and come up with a strategy uh, to to renovate. And there was a certain scope of work that was originally developed, and uh, and a goal to achieve with that twenty million. And and one of the you know proudest moments I had was to stop and think about the strategy of how we go to market uh, for the, the general construction services here and, and to use relationships. Um, ultimately ended up partnering with an open shot GC that uh, I've done business with in the past that I knew could deliver a, a project of this size. And, and honestly, it was the, from a procurement perspective, from a personal perspective, one of the most successful projects I've been a part of and exciting because I was able to drive, believe it or not, a, a $16 million construction budget down to about 10 million. Wow. Uh, when we bought out the contract by doing open shop and, 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 and more transparency down to the sub-level bids. And ultimately we went back to leadership and said, hey, good news. We were able to achieve what we planned to achieve, but have six million here that uh, that we could you know save or if you'd like reinvest. And the decision was to reinvest in the facility. So ultimately, the procurement strategy helped result in six million additional reinvested back into the training center. Which for me is like I was able to impact players of the teams that you are you know that you love and you support. Uh, and they did cool things like player entrances, a lot more swag and, and branding around the place. The food, the food service area was expanded and the scope was greater. Um, it was just a much better overall project and outcome um, from the procurement perspective. So not only did I get to work with awesome people and, and, and meet a legend of the game, you know, I was able to deliver a, a, a high quality product from a procurement perspective and make a difference uh, for, for Madison Square Garden, for the teams and for the individuals that work there. So that's always one I love to share with people because it's, you know, it was such a great opportunity and such a great outcome. 
Well, when you talk about, you know, pride around results and, and getting to work with legends and having this impact, uh, it actually provides a fantastic transition to uh, our tradition here at the Sourcing Hero podcast. So I'm going to give you two questions, Matt, and you can pick whichever one you want and then answer it. Uh, your choices are, what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? And the other option is, what does heroism look like in a business context? Uh, I think, you know, I, what I always tell people to work for me and, and, and my guiding light has always been, and coincidentally, we have a, a shared mutual connection that helped teach this to me at a young age. When I first started in business, it was do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And that's something I've I learned young and it's been at the core of who I am and what I do. Um, so to me, heroism really is that. It's it's the integrity in what we do. Integrity matters, right? To, to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. It's not always the easy thing to do. And that's the one thing you learn throughout your journey is you're often put in tough positions where that, especially in procurement, where that's often challenged. And I think a hero in procurement um, when they come across those, stays true to who they are, uh, they keep integrity at the core, and they do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Well, Matt, I appreciate you being here and sharing your expertise and, of course, your cool stories. If people have listened in and would like to connect with you, learn more about what you're up to, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's always fun talking about procurement and especially in sports and entertainment and to share these stories. So I appreciate that and thank you. And the, I think the best way to get in touch with me is check out my LinkedIn profile, Matt Mailer, or the company profile, Procurement Solutions. Um, and the website to also support that that you'll find on the LinkedIn is procurementsolutions-mag.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero Podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.